say, Dodd just keeps getting better and better. We actually have a light this week. Like they put light bulbs back in all the lights and turn the sod ones on. It's absolutely incredible. And it's not like 20 degrees in here. So <coughs> like we've got a, got a lot, to, lot to be happy about uh, tonight. Um, if, you, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Judges. Um, or if, uh, if you didn't get one of the announcement sheets on that blue chair just behind uh, in the back, um, it'll also have most of the passages we'll be looking at in Judges chapter 7. Uh, our, our topic as we're looking at the book of Judges is heroes and leaders, uh, because all through the book of Judges it is, it is God raising up heroes and leaders to save his people. It's a book about deliverance. It's a book about God uh, showing his love for his people. Uh, and it describes the, the Israelite there in that period as just in terms of this uh, cycle of idolatry. Uh, of God has brought them into the land, and then what they do is they enjoy peace is begin to become like the other nations that are around them, and even to begin to worship uh, the other gods and turn away from the Lord. And every time through these cycles, as they turn away from the Lord, he uh, sends them into the hand of, of, an, of, an, of an enemy who's oppressing them. And for a certain number of years before they call out to the Lord, and he raises up a deliverer for them, a hero and a leader, a judge, uh, to save them. And all through uh, in the book of Judges, uh, it, is, it is pointing out this fact that we, that we need not just a hero and a leader, but that we need a king, that we need a great savior who we won't fall, fall back into these traps and cycles of idolatry. It's a book that points us uh, to David and to the greater son of David uh, and the coming of Christ our Lord. So last week we got to look at, uh, at Gideon in terms of his reluctance. Um, and maybe, maybe part of the story of Gideon that you weren't as familiar with. Uh, tonight, in the end of chapter 6 and in chapter 7, here are some of the stories of Gideon that uh, you know, make their way even into to culture at times. The story of Gideon uh, putting the fleece before the Lord. Uh, the story of Gideon's army, uh, the 300, uh, going into battle and how God uses him. So I'm going to uh, read this passage. And what I would encourage you, because... So we're, we're reading kind of chunks of passages and sometimes we're not sure how to read that much. And what's going to happen is I'm going to be reading and you're going to be thinking about other things. You're not going to get all of it, right? But, but as you're trying to pay attention to it, here's, here's, what, here's what the details to look for as you're hearing God's word. Uh, what's Gideon like? Who, who is this character that God's raised up and how is he going to save his people? And particularly, uh, what are... What are we, uh, what are Gideon's weaknesses and some of his strengths? And as you see uh, Gideon's weaknesses and strengths, how does that fit with what God is doing through Gideon? If you'll see some of those details, uh, you'll see really the theme that the passage, I believe, is, is bringing out. As we uh, were in the book last week, God has uh, called uh, Gideon to himself, Gideon who... who uh, himself and his father and their uh, house had been worshiping uh, Baal and Gideon who was so reluctant to believe that the Lord might be with him. And then at the end we had the, the Midianites and the Amalekites who had been impressing them for seven years uh, gathered like, like locusts around coming into the, the land to, to be ravaging the people again and taking all of their food, right? And then as it says the people are gathered it, it tells us that Gideon is clothed with the Spirit of the Lord. Clothed with God's Power and he begins to call his, his tribe and his people and the other tribes around him that they would go up and meet the Midianites in battle. And you're getting ready for the great uh, victory uh, that God's going to bring to his people. And we see the story takes a few, a few other turns, a few other difficulties uh, to get through on the way. 
Uh, so Gideon uh, uh, judges heroes and leaders chapter uh, 6, beginning with verse 36. As they're gathered before to meet, uh, meet these enemies, it begins, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Look, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece, and he wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to the Lord, Arise, I'm going to go, and we're going to attack the people and win, right? <laughs> no. Then Gideon said to God, Let your anger not burn against me. Let me speak just one more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, let there be dew. I mean, maybe the fleece just had some kind of properties where it attracted water, right? He wants to be sure about this. <clears throat> and God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. <clears throat> then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moray in the valley, preparing for battle. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many. Huh? <clears throat> this part's in bold. We'll come back to it later. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away to Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Well, you know, what kind of army do you have at that point? <clears throat> then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog, uh, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who laughed, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. Gideon at this point is going, Please let it be the people that knelt down that I'm, that I'm taking with me, right? What does the Lord say? And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and get the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. Now, the camp of Midian was below him in the valleys. Kind of gives you that reminder because you're going, here's Gideon with 300 men and the whole army of the Midianites is, is laid out. The passage later goes on to say, uh, like the locusts over the fields and as, as numerous as the sands on the seashore. That's what's below him, and he's there with 300 men, right? How, how, how's Gideon doing at this point? <clears throat> that same night, the passage continues, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the, enemy, uh, against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. 
And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream, and and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets in the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. (coughs) And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the count and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches, then the right hands, the trumpets to blow. They're not holding their swords right now. It's kind of a picture. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah towards the era as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Taboth. <clears throat> and I don't know where those places either, but the idea is they ran a long ways away. Um, ran all the way out. I think we'll stop there with the passage. It goes on to tell you some more of the details of how they uh, took down the rest of those men who ran and their, uh, their princes and their kings and some of the trouble that they ran into along the way. Uh, well, let's pray and ask for God's blessing uh, on his word to us. Uh, Lord, our God, we thank you for even these narratives that you uh, record for us, uh, the history of your people uh, and your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the oddness of them, uh, the strangeness, and yet the encouragement that is there. Uh, Lord, we come to you uh, tonight because we want to to hear from you uh, that you are real, uh, that you would speak to us. Lord, we, we come with doubts. Uh, We come with struggle. We come guilty because of things that we have done. We come not wanting to admit that we have done things that deserve uh, guilt from you. And yet, Lord, we come in that way because we need your grace. Uh, Because you are a God who in Christ speaks not condemnation, uh, but love and forgiveness. We pray that through your word tonight, uh, our eyes would be lifted up uh, away from simply our own problems, our own struggles and weaknesses and sins, uh, to your glory. Uh, to your love, uh, to your salvation. We pray that your spirit will be powerfully at work tonight and that you might use us in your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we 
read through the passage, I said to watch for Gideon's strengths and Gideon's weaknesses in particular, right? Um, and there's some pretty impressive strengths that Gideon would, with 300 men, uh, still move forward into battle, but there's a lot of weaknesses that you notice as well. Now, I expect if, if, uh, if Gideon were to know that I was telling people to look for all his weaknesses, or if he would read the stories that were written about him in Scripture, I'd be a little embarrassing, right? Um, I mean, how would you like it if someone was saying, all right, I want, you to, I want you to watch Taylor today and notice his particular strengths and especially pay attention to his weaknesses, right? Um, I would never want anyone to do that about me. Uh, please don't ever think about it. Don't think about it. Now you're going to think about that the rest of the night, and I'm going to be... Uh, <coughs> yeah, okay. So you, you never want uh, all those weaknesses to be made aware of. Um, <coughs> what we try to do is to hide our weaknesses and play to our strengths, Right? That's the way that we live. Uh, that's the way that we live every day from when you wake up in the morning uh, to when you go to bed at night to how you sleep at night. And if you drool on the pillow, you try to turn that over in the morning so your roommate kind of doesn't notice that because that's one of your weaknesses, right? Uh, we're trying to hide our weaknesses. I got Lisa. Someone drools on the pillow. I saw your smile. Um, uh, we try to hide our weaknesses and, and play uh, to our strengths down to everything that you do, Right? Uh, the classes that you're taking are classes that you thought maybe you would, you would do well in and maybe would fit with some of your strengths, right? You, you had to. Uh, the different activities that you do. You're, you know, you're playing soccer because you think that would be fun and maybe because you, you have the, you know, the skills in that or you're doing something else or you're not doing it because of that. Down to even the things that we talk about, right? Um, <clears throat> if there's a conversation about politics and you know something about politics, you're like, oh, yeah, I've got to get in this conversation. Or there's people around you talking about politics and you're like, yeah, so I'm going to go see what those people over there are doing because I don't know what's going on there. Or you're going to t- change the topic to sports because that's easier to talk about. Or if you don't know about sports, you're like, so what classes are you taking? It's really warm outside. right? You're, right you want to talk about something that you're in an area that you're comfortable with because we want to hide our weaknesses. Um, now, we'd love to say that, you know, that we all have lots of strengths and maybe there's a few weaknesses there. We've got to acknowledge our weaknesses, that none of us is, is strong in, in every area. We've got natural lacks and inabilities. Or maybe it's from just laziness that you haven't learned things that you should have learned. Uh, maybe it's real mistakes that you've made. Uh, weaknesses in terms of your sins, in terms of failures. Um, but we've got it mixed up because what we want to do is hide our weaknesses. Um, but we've got it all mixed up because our weaknesses aren't the problem. Do you realize that when we're reading through the passage? You saw Gideon, some of his strengths, but you saw a lot of his weaknesses. Gideon's weaknesses aren't the problem. Our weaknesses aren't the problem. We need to stop hiding them, stop worrying about them. Uh, you're, you're weak. You, you, are, you are wrong. You have failures. You have inabilities. Uh, but that's not the problem. Weakness is not a problem. The strength, our strengths are our problem. That's weird. That's not right. It can't be right. Uh, everything we think about is, is entirely opposite of that. Our strengths are a problem, not our weaknesses. Our pride ultimately is the problem. You see the, uh, the verse we highlighted or that's in, in bold in there, 7 verse 2, that odd statement the Lord says to Gideon, the people with you are too many. They're not that strong, but they're too strong. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. Lest Israel boast over me, lest they be prideful to say my own hand has saved me. The weaknesses aren't the problem. Now, that's difficult for us, right? And right now you don't, you don't agree with me at all. You're not even about to uh, become open with your weaknesses or see what might happen there. So 
Just a few other scripture to make sure we're not reading, you know, judges very odd. What, what does the rest of scripture say? Um, some real clear passages. First Corinthians uh, chapter 1, uh, towards the end of the chapter, verse 27 says, God chose the weak as he chose the foolish to shame the wise, and God chose the weak to shame the strong. Weakness doesn't get in his way. Or, or again, you know, Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh, whatever that may be, and he describes it in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, that the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. He's not boasting his strength, he's boasting in his failures, in his weaknesses, in his inabilities, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, persecutions, and calamities. And that's the phrase you know, right? For when I am weak, then I am strong. The weaknesses aren't the problem. The strengths are. God working through our weaknesses builds out uh, his power that he's showing. Um, it's, uh, I couldn't remember the quote, but uh, someone can someone help me out here. Michael Scott from The Office, right? He's like the interview. He's interviewing for the job that everyone, other people are interviewing. And how, how's the quote go? They're asking, like, what are your, what are your strengths? You, anyone remember? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He lifts like these things. I work too hard. I you know, pay too, you know, too relational with whatever things. Uh, so, so really, I guess you could say, you know, my strengths are my weaknesses or whatever. You know, he's turning around backwards the way you're supposed to do that. Um, the, the, what the passage is doing is saying the way that you think about it is, is backwards. Michael Scott's actually closer to being right. <laughs> I can't be. Now you know. You know now you know I must not be telling the truth. Uh, this is what Scripture is saying. Uh, we've got it all backwards. Um, when I am weak, then I am strong. That's what God is working through. That's where his power is seen uh, in completeness. <clears throat> and this is what's going on in Judges uh, with Gideon. Now, if you look over in, in Hebrews chapter 11, you can, you can turn over there if you want. With, one of these days I'll print it on there with the stuff that you're reading. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. It goes through and lists all these biblical characters throughout history and their faith in the Lord, how they looked forward to the promises but didn't receive them because ultimately they're looking forward to Christ and we're looking forward to Him. But it goes and it mentions all these biblical characters and it mentions our hero and leader for today, Gideon, right, as well as some of the others. Uh, Hebrews 11 says this, What more shall I say? For time would uh, fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and enforced justice. And it goes on and says all these things. And one of the things is this, uh, who were made strong out of weakness. Uh, Now, it may apply to some of these other guys here too, uh, but that one definitely hits home on Gideon, right? This is a story of a man who was made strong out of his weakness. That God is using, in fact, the very weakness of him, the weakness of his army to show uh, his power the greatness of his salvation. So as we go through this passage, ask yourself, what are my weaknesses? I'm not going to make you stand up at the end and tell anyone else what your weaknesses are, right? But, but ask yourself, uh, what are your weaknesses? Maybe that's lacks, just inabilities, things that you don't know about, things you're not capable of doing. Uh, maybe it's your sins. Uh, maybe it's failures that you've made. Maybe it's past. Maybe it's worries for the future. What are your weaknesses? <clears throat> um, 
And, uh, and how might God use your weaknesses to show the great power of his salvation? So as we go through this, there's two sides that I want to talk about. As we, um, as we look at Gideon as the weak hero, um, and you know, no one wants to follow a weakling. No one wants to, to be a weakling. And, and there's two sides of this. The first that I want to mention is that we are weak. Um, we are weak, but we're not too weak for God to use us. All right, that's the first point. We're weak, but we're, uh, we're in no way too weak for God to use us. That could never uh, be the case that we could be too weak for God to use. That's the glory of the gospel. The God says, my power is made perfect, made complete and full in your weakness. Uh, God, in some sense, delights in our weaknesses and we see him more through it. All those things that you're trying to hide about yourself, the situations that you're avoiding, the conversations, uh, uh, the, the, the relation, uh, the people that you talk to and, and avoid, the ways you're trying to hide your sin, those are the very things that God would most use uh, to show his glory. That's the, those are the ways that God is actually at work in you. Um, that's the way that God is actually working through you, is especially through your weakness. That's what we see in the passage with uh, Gideon and the golden fleece. Oh, not the golden fleece, that's like some Greek uh, mythology thing. Um, I wanted to look at that story and see if there was any fun similarities, but I didn't do that. Um, with, with Gideon laying the fleece uh, before the Lord, what we see in the passage is that Gideon is afraid. Gideon's like us, and he knows his weaknesses, he knows some of the weaknesses of his army, and he looks and goes, okay, we you know, clothed with spirit's power and, and kind of called out Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali and whatever tribes, and here we are, we muster up the troops, and I'm looking at the army, and I'm looking at the number of their army, I'm looking at the size of our army, and um, God, are, are you sure about this? I know you said that you would give us victory, I hear that you've promised that to us, and I know you, you're giving your, your spirit's power to lead me in this, but is it not the case that we're too weak? Can you really use us here? It's the same struggle that we have here. Gideon is, is afraid of their weakness. <clears throat> Malachites are like uh, locusts, as the tribe said. Um, so, so Gideon says, all right, even though I have your... I have your power and I have your promise. Uh, your, your spirit has been, uh, has been equipping me and you've given a specific word for this. Uh, Gideon tests God, right? Two times. What's he asking when he lays out that fleece? Are we too weak? Are we too weak for you to use us? Or will you really give us victory uh, over the hands of our enemies as you said? Two times he lays this out. And you know, as you're reading the story and you're noticing the weaknesses, you're kind of going, man... Goodness, maybe Gideon is too weak here. Uh, here's the guy who, who God has already uh, appeared to him, uh, shown him that he accepted his sacrifice, uh, given him his task, and defended him in it. All these amazing things of how God has equipped him even with his spirit. And Gideon, having had God's promise and it's, and it's already been fully confirmed, is like, oh, yeah, I'm not really so sure about this, right? Um, maybe Gideon is too weak. We would almost feel like for God to use. <coughs> um, but... <coughs> But is he too weak? How do we see? What does God do in relation to Gideon's weakness? Um, <clears throat> even more so, uh, we see <clears throat> that, how, that God responds by demonstrating further proof. Demonstrating further proof that his promise is sure. Yes, Gideon, I'll, you're going to test me and I'm going to show you two different ways and two different times that my word is sure to you. 
Um, and that I'm with you in your weakness and going to use, us, use you. Like, this is us, right? The more aware that we are of our weakness, the more, more afraid we are that God can't use us. Um, <clears throat> you know, you, maybe you came into to college uh, excited about your faith and the things that, that God's been, been doing, and you came and you're like, this is going to be great. I'm going to be able to reach out to people here at Florida State and you know, see how God can use me. And then you saw yourself crash. Um, whether that's just you realize things about yourself or you realize that it was harder to, <clears throat> to love other people than you knew it was before because you're fighting with your roommate. <clears throat> or whether it's because you realize that those people that you wanted to, to, to go convert and save, you'd actually rather be out with them on the weekends, that you want to be partying with, with the things that they're doing, and you're drawn into that. Um, <clears throat> and you're seeing that weakness there. That's the very weakness in that God is able to use you. And what, what happens is we become afraid that, well, I don't have any kind of witness before someone else, right? Um, <clears throat> The freshman Bible study, uh, which, by the way, is awesome. Uh, I love the freshman Bible study because the freshmen are awesome. Uh, everyone's awesome. Sorry. No. Okay. Uh, and the freshman Bible study, we've been talking about, uh, talking about evangelism. And even we talked about what are, what are some of our fears uh, about evangelism. Um, some of the things we mentioned, like, what if I get in a situation where I don't know enough? I don't know the right answer. I'm not sure how to describe the gospel or the particular things uh, 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 you know, around that. I'm going, Great. Great, if that's your weakness, then wonderful, because all you can do is go to someone and say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus, and he's really amazing. I'd love for you to know about Jesus. And, and I'm going to give you, and, and here's the Bible. Uh, right, like, like, that's great. I would love for God to use you in that, in that weakness. Or hey, you feel like you're you know, not courageous or outgoing enough. So you're going to approach people that you actually have a relationship with um, and that you're not going to be thrusting thing, things down their throat, right? Great. Or only <clears throat> well, feel like we're not moral enough um, when you realize your own sin or you realize your, um, <clears throat> your fears about that. Wonderful. So since you can go to someone and say, um, hey, listen, I'm not any better than you. Um, and Jesus loves people like us. I'd love to talk about that with you. Um, Right, like, like our weaknesses and things that we see that way and are afraid of are what God are able to use to display his power. Um, but I think really a whole lot deeper than any kind of fears about outreach or evangelism was a fear that God just doesn't really want us. Not so much just that God wouldn't use us, but that God wouldn't use us in any way. Uh, that God doesn't care for us. Right, when we look and say, well, you know what, I, I don't read my Bible um, I don't go to church, or a lot of times I don't want to. Um, I don't really pray, and when I pretend to, I know I'm pretending. I, that I don't do enough uh, spiritual, religious uh, things, right? It's like, how's God ever going to love me if I'm not putting forth all this effort in these religious things that I'm supposed to do? Um, you can go and look at uh, uh, Philippians 2, where God says, all that is rubbish. Christ, uh, Paul says, that's rubbish, and I count it all lost for the sake of Christ. Uh, the things that you're afraid of there, God is actually still able to, to use you uh, despite those. Or you could say, maybe it's not the lack of those things, but uh, because I'm starting to realize how sinful I am, or because of the real mistakes that I've made, uh, maybe God isn't going to use me, or isn't, doesn't really want me. Um, that I like to go and get plastered on the weekends like everyone else at Florida State. Um, that when I'm at RUF, I act like a 
good Christian, but other friends that I hang out and we love to go and get high. And I don't want to change that. That's that's part of my life. Or <clears throat> or maybe you know, to say, well, you wouldn't know the kind of things uh, that, that I look at on my computer when no one else is around. Or, or the past kind of sexual experiences that I have or stuff that I'm tempted to or engaged in now. Or maybe just because I'm lazy and complacent and don't really care about all these things. We fear that some way we're not good enough for God to want us. That some way we haven't done the things that are supposed to, to save us and make us appealing to God. The same place we already talked about in 1 Corinthians, it says God chooses the lowly things of the world. Um, he chooses uh, the lowly things of the world, people with weaknesses and failures, um, and he takes us because we're not good enough. God doesn't love us because we got some things right or got other things wrong or we got enough things right to kind of balance it out. The reason that God saves, the reason that God loves, the reason that He sent His Son is because we're not good enough. Because we don't read our Bible and pray and go to church and love the Lord the way that we're supposed to. Because there are all kinds of things that anyone could, uh, that you can list out about yourself <clears throat> for why you're not good enough for God to love you. It's not that you've earned it. It's that God on His own has said, I will love you. I will use you. I see your weakness and I will delight to show my power and my salvation through it and my love to you. So that you would see that it's not that you were good enough. It's not that you ever offered anything to me. Uh, but that in your weakness, I am displaying my power and she would see my love. This is what makes the gospel so amazing to us. God's power trumps our weakness every time with every sin that you want to hide, with every just personal lack about yourself that you would rather no one else realize. God's power trumps that weakness, never the other way around. A Christ death on the cross means that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He has accomplished it for us in the fullness of His love, in the fullness of that weakness that we all might know and nothing can separate us from God's love. We can never be too weak. You can never be too weak for God to use you, for God to show His love for you. Our, our fears are misplaced. We've got to stop hiding it. We've got to realize something more. And there's another side to it. There's a side to it that, <clears throat> that we're never too weak to, for God to use us, um, but it's somehow often true that we're not weak enough. That we're playing to our strengths. Uh, my second point is that we're weak, <clears throat> um, and we're uh, not weak enough for God to use us. I'm not implying that God won't use us, or that God can't use us, but rather that God first brings us out of, God first brings out our weakness. He first shows our weaknesses, shows that we're not in strength, so that what we see is that it's God that's doing this. This is amazing. It's God who is at work here and encouraging me. See, God's not uh, so concerned to use our strengths for us just to become prideful. All right. He often humbles us to show us our sin or inability and still uses us then in ways that we would never expect possible. That's what you see going on in this passage, right? Um, this is one of the just most odd and surprising and yet impressive uh, narratives uh, in the book of Judges, if not in, in some ways through Scripture. Um, that in you know, 7-2, there, you know, God says to Gideon, the people with you are too many. 
You know, like, if there's one thing that I didn't expect God to say right then, it was that the people were too many. <laughs> the enemies, you know, like, the numerous of the sand on the seashore, and here's 32,000 people. They're still probably outnumbered, like, you know, 10 to 1 or so, or I don't know, 3 to 1, whatever. I, don't, I, don't, I can't do math. <laughs> They're still vastly outnumbered. And God says, no, you're too many. Because if I save you like this, you will boast and you'll say, my hand has saved me. Look, we were outnumbered five to one. That means all of us took down five of the enemy. How great are we in accomplishing our salvation? And God says, no. <clears throat> and so he turns and says, you know, send away, uh, go, go and say to the whole army, anyone who's, uh, who's afraid or terrified to, to go into battle, leave. How would you like to be in the, in the camp of, of the army of God's people when, when that said, right, if anyone's afraid of leaving, like, leave. And then, like, you know, if there's someone on your right and your left, if you stay, both of them leave. Right? Like, two-thirds of the army just jets. And you're going, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> he's fearful now, you know, or he forget him. And then, and then what's God say? All right, there's just 10,000 of you left. That's still too many. Um, it's way too many. And God chooses then just uh, 300 uh, people um, uh, that, that, that God designates those who laugh. There's no significance to that. But, but the 300 people only that God would, could take uh, to defeat an enemy that's, that's as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That's been for seven years, all the people of Israel together have had no, no way to be able to, uh, to fight back even. 300 people. Um, this is the way God works. It's with these... 300 that God defeats their enemies. And here's what I want to bring out. Um, Gideon must have thought that God was out of his mind. Gideon must have thought God was whack. Right? We're about to go. And like, here's our enemies. They're all there. And you're telling me to get rid of all these people that we've just gathered up. Like, uh, God, I know. Let's see. I had your word. You said we were going to do it. I tested you two times. You still said, yes, I'm going to give you victory. But now we just got 300 people. Like, what in the world is God <coughs> dealing here, right? That's, that's the way that we are with our weaknesses, right? For me to stand here and tell you that the things about you that are, uh, that are most messed up, that are most horrifying, that you don't want anyone else to know, are the things about you that just you're not good at, that you suffer from, uh, that those are going to be the best things about the way God works, you're going... That's, that's a nice, spiritually encouraging message. I appreciate that. Maybe I'll be slightly encouraged sometime when I'm feeling a little bit weak. Uh, but you're going, no way I'm going to take these things and actually uh, see God working. And I'm going to look for that. No way that I actually believe that. It's like you think it would be crazy to not hide your weaknesses. Gideon thinks it's crazy for God to do this. 300 people. Uh, in the same way that you never want God to actually expose your mistakes, to, to show you uh, your wrongs and your sin and your inability, Gideon didn't want his army reduced. But this is how God brings salvation. This is where we see uh, the great display of God's power, right? You even know this in your experience and things that you've seen. What's it, what's it like typically when someone becomes a Christian? Um, <clears throat> right? Typically someone becoming a Christian is not, it's not through an easy process. Usually, years of hard things. God often brings people through different, uh, difficult circumstances. They would see that they need him. Or God takes people through a painful awareness of their sin and their guilt. That they actually wouldn't have a place to stand before God. That they actually need God himself to die for their sin that they might be forgiven. 
Right? To get to that point, God has to show us horrible things about ourselves. Situations uh, that we can't handle, wrongs that we can't make up for. Um, our hand can't save us. We have nothing to offer. If you're looking and you're seeing your weaknesses or you're seeing your sin and you're going, all right, now I've got to be really good and I've got to go to RUF every week and I've got to make sure I hang around Christian people and I've got to make sure I read my Bible and pray uh, so I'm going to get it back on the right track and I'm going to be a good person and God's going to love me. No, that's not the way that it works. God is trying to expose your weaknesses as you would say, I need Jesus. And nothing more can help me but Jesus. Our hand can't save us. We've got nothing to, our, to offer. God displays his power uh, that he's done it for us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. <clears throat> Same things would be true for, for, for growth as a Christian, right? Um, is, is the greatest growth in your life when everything's hunky-dory? Um, when everything in your life is going well and that's, <clears throat> you know, that's when you're most encouraged and clinging to Christ? Um, or is it not when our world is rocked, when our sin is exposed, and someone finds out about the things that we've been trying to hide, uh, then we realize that we need Jesus, that we cling to him, and our faith is strengthened. See, we tend to not be weak enough. Um, <clears throat> we tend to not be weak enough, at least in our own mind, that we are still thinking that if God did great things for us, we would just think that we're really great. Five to one, and I did it, Right? If I, leave, if I leave home late and I still get there early, I'm going like, yes, I really know how to drive, right? <laughs> I'm never thankful to God, like, let there be green lights or <clears throat> something. I didn't get a wreck like I should have probably. Um, uh, we tend to be prideful. Um, in a conversation with an unbeliever uh, and, <clears throat> and they're debating things and we have something to come back with, that instead of feeling like we don't know anything, we had the perfect response. I mean, if I talk to you the next day on that, I'm, you know, I, I don't know. Let's, you know, would you be like, this is just amazing what, what happened in this person or, or, or the thing that God gave me to say? You'd be like, man, I had, the, I had the best response. Like, he just didn't have anything to say after I, you know, after I gave this reply. We're, we're prideful. We would, we would boast in what we would say. We try to take the credit for what God did. We try to be our own Messiah all the time. Most of the time in the Christian life, what we're looking at is, is trying to get better, uh, you know, enough better religiously that we don't need Jesus anymore. Um, that we're trying to take his place. Uh, we don't realize how weak we are. We're not weak enough, you could say. And then even when you want to see... Uh, <clears throat> now, what I want you to go on to see is how God still, even in exposing our weaknesses, reassures us of his power. Right, here's Gideon, 300 men, many night armies below him. Um, how does, God says, arise, go down into battle. All your weakness has been exposed. You've got only 300 people. Go down and defeat them. But if you're afraid, I want to give you reassurance. I've told you my word. I've told you that my power is made perfect in weakness. And I want to show you, I want to encourage you that that's true, that this is the way that I'll be working so you don't run and hide. Um, and he takes Gideon down and, you know, as we, as we read, he lets him overhear this dream. This dream by front of the watchmen of the enemy camp. That, I don't know why, it's a cake of barley that rolls into a tent. And, you know, like, it's a weird dream. And then the guy next to him interprets it to say, that means, that's about the sword of Gideon. 
God, that we've been delivered over into his hand, and he's going to be victorious. Um, and Gideon hears that and understands that God is proving to him that yes, through 300, through his weakness, God will show great power of victory. Um, God, he's proving it uh, for him. Uh, not just, it's not just that, uh, that if we're strong enough, God will use us. I think if I was in Gideon's shoes, that's what I would have thought. I've got 32,000 people. I'm kind of scared, but you know, laid down the test of the, the fleece. God's confirmed it. So, okay, I'm comfortable that if I'm strong enough with 32,000 people, God can defeat these enemies. But when it's 300, he's clear it's nothing about his strength. Right? We're clear from it. It's not that we're, if we're good enough and we look to Jesus that, that God will save us. It's that in having nothing but weakness to offer, nothing but our sin to bring to God, that still we see the glory of the cross of what Jesus has done for us. See, rather, it's when we're so weak uh, that we realize that God will use us in that very weakness. What happens? 300 people, the army, they go on to entirely rout uh, the Midianite army. Um, and they're panicked and they're running in every direction and it's the Lord that gives them the victory because they're turning the sword against one another and they run as far away as they can. The rest of chapter 8 is, is about them continuing to follow after the Midianites, all the places that they run to uh, to be able to get their princes and their kings and defeat them. God's power is made perfect in weakness. We want God to expose our weakness. We want to turn from our pride that we would see the great things that God has done. <clears throat> right? Who, <clears throat> who wants a weakling as a leader when you look at Gideon? That's, that, that guy doesn't even trust God when he's proved it four times, five times, right? <clears throat> um, who wants to be a weakling? I don't want to show you all the, all the weak problems that I have. You're not supposed to come up to me after RUF and ask me about any of those things. No. Um, right? What, what kind of weaknesses do you have? I said I wasn't going to make you stand up and say it at the end, but if you've been asking yourself that question as we go through, don't stand up and say it. Are you aware of what your, what your weaknesses are? Um, I'm still scared of it. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I don't want God... But when I, when I say... Who, who wants to be a weakling and I look at this passage? I go, me. I want to be that. I want to have a front row seat to see what God is doing. To, to Martin go like, I've got nothing here. Like, how would you have liked to have been one of those 300 men? You got your sword's like still strapped to your side. You just got your trumpet uh, and you got like a, a jar with a, with a torch in it, right? And you blow the horn, you break it, so you're holding the torch. And then you're, you're watching God's enemies be defeated. You're watching them run from you. And you're like, there's only 300 of us. This is awful. I thought for sure we were going to die. There was no way this would happen. <laughs> That's what God is doing with you. God's exposing you. And you're realizing like, man, I thought I wasn't going to do that anymore. Well, I didn't want anyone to realize that these sins were there. We're, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how to talk to someone about the gospel. I don't want to be in this kind of situation. Why do I have unbelievers around me? This is not comfortable. God is using your weakness. Uh, God is delighted to show the power, uh, 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 his power and perfection made full. 
We want to acknowledge how weak we are, that we would have a front row seat to see what God is doing, and that we can take no credit, but, but like Gideon, that we would fall down and worship, having seen the salvation that God brings. <clears throat> Amazing to be one of those uh, 300, or, or maybe here, right? We can have a little fun. R- RUF. RUF is a weak ministry. Um, Right? If, if this campus is, is 30,000, 40,000 people, uh, we're 20-some people, um, what can God do? Right? How, how is there any way that some 20 people are going to have any kind of impact on the whole of the campus? How are we going to have any impact on any sizable force of the gospel actually going out and they're being influenced through us? Um, I'm excited because we're a weak ministry of only 20 people. And God displays his weakness and power. And when we are weak, uh, then we are strong because God is at work and he is doing amazing things. I'm excited to see what God does through RUS. I'm excited to see what God does uh, through your weaknesses, through the sins that he's exposed. I'm excited to see what God does through all my problems and failures that I don't want you to know about. Uh, I want to see what God does here. Um, and, and just one last thing of, in terms of how much we don't want weakness. Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' kingdom is not built on glory. It's not built on strength or power and dominance of the success that we can accomplish. It's built on suffering. It's built on the weakness of God coming down uh, in weakness as, as a man in the full weakness of human flesh. And suffering on the cross with no defense for himself to offer to his accusers and calling for no aid to, to be able to come down from the cross. But on the cross, uh, we see what looks in every way like weakness. Is this the way 1 Corinthians 1 talks about it? Foolishness. It's a stumbling Here's a condemned criminal put to death, and that's the centerpiece of our religion. That's the centerpiece of what our life is about, of our hope for eternal glory and eternal salvation, is that, is that God, as a man, was crucified and dead. You don't get any more weak than dead, except that being condemned by God, dead. And Christ was raised in power that he is now working in our weaknesses and our spiritual death and all of our things to, to show his resurrection power and his life. And it's not that then we aim for power or dominance or control. We aim for God showing us our weakness, uh, that he would show us the glory of his power and we would follow Christ as our leader no more with weakness, uh, greater than Gideon, uh, for eternity and see his power at work through us. Let's pray. <clears throat> uh, Lord God, I would uh, confess for us or in some ways even for my own heart as I would speak these things that it sounds wonderful uh, that you could use all the messed up things in us that my inabilities aren't, uh, aren't going to get in the way of your glorious purposes. And yet, Lord, in my heart, there is so much unbelief, uh, so much weaknesses, so much <clears throat> weak faith that we would know like Gideon where we would say, Lord, uh, help us. Lord, show us that that could be true. Lord, you have shown us fully in the cross, and we pray that you would give us uh, the ability to believe it by your Spirit, and that you would patiently uh, lead us 
as you use our weaknesses, that you would give us that seat to be able to see the amazing power of your glory. And even, Lord, that through us, uh, through this weak group and our weaknesses, that you would reach out with the gospel to this campus and we would see the greatness of your kingdom and Christ on his throne. Uh, we pray this uh, with hope and with weak faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to close with, uh, with one more song, um, Isaiah 43, about God being present with us in our weakness and our hard trials. Now let's stand and let's sing.